Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to worship you. We thank you for how much you love us and care for us. And Lord, just for the great sacrifice you made for us. And we want to come before you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. We made it through chapter 1 finally. All right, we're going to read nine verses. I don't know how far we're going to go. Actually, eight verses. And you, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of, the, of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and has raised us up together, and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So we're going to stop there because there's a lot of powerful things in this. He starts out talking here that you who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of this air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. This is really going back and telling people that we're born sinners. <laughs> If you want to simplify it, it is you're born sinners. We're born dead, spiritually. Uh, and uh, I've said that before, and we just want people to understand that. We are born dead. You know, we have physical life. We have you know, a life, but we are born spiritually dead without no desire for God, no desire for doing right. And it's an old statement that we don't sin because we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We're born that way. We're born as sinners. And anybody who's had a little child, or I know we talk about how cute the child is when they're little and can't do anything, but we very quickly know that that child is a stinking, rotting, sinner just like everybody else. They learn to talk. <laughs> they learn to, to crawl. They learn to touch things they're not supposed to touch. They learn to, they learn to talk and talk back. You know, they learn, they learn the word no real well. You know, we learn very quickly that they are sinners. But we're all sinners. Every single person we run into is a sinner. Everybody in this room is a sinner. Now we're saved by grace and we're redeemed and all of that, but we are sinners. And Paul is saying this is how everybody starts out. And he's talking to the Ephesians, you know, you, hey, you guys were dead. <laughs> you were dead. You may not have realized it, but you were dead. And it says, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Because we are sinners, we tend to walk as sinners in the way of this world. And this is why I tell everybody, I'm never surprised when, when somebody does something bad because we're all sinners. It's more surprising when somebody does something good because that's against the nature of the flesh. And so we look at this and he says, all we're doing is we're walking according to the course of this world, the path of this world. Every time we have a situation we have to deal with, we have two choices in front of us. We can do it God's way, 
which is not going to be the easy way. That's the narrow path. It doesn't even make sense sometimes. Jesus said when, when somebody strikes you, you turn the other cheek. And, and most of us know that when we're struck, the very first thing we want to do is smack them back. You know, that's the natural. That's the course of the world. That's the course of the world. And when you do what God says and you don't strike back, and you're doing it for the right reason. Sometimes you don't strike back because you're terrified that they're going to really get after you if you do. But if you don't strike back because God says not to, you're doing the right thing. And it's hard. The course of the world is so easy. Somebody mistreats you, and, our, and the easy thing the world says to do is go back out and mistreat them real quick. Go on and mistreat them. They deserve it. How many of you have ever been happy because God, somebody got what they deserved? <laughs> That's the world's way of looking at things. It was about time that happened to him. I'm so excited that that, got, it, that happened to him. Most of us will never admit that we got excited about somebody getting what they deserve. But, but that is not God's way. God's way is not for us to be excited. He tells us to love our enemies. Do good to those that, dis, that despitefully use us. Yeah. That's pretty harsh. When somebody purposely comes and tries to misuse us and abuse us to keep being nice to them, and not just be nice to them, but to love them. You know, and we think back, you know, Peter, Peter thinks that, thinking he's being very spiritual to Jesus. He goes, how many times should we forgive somebody? Seven times? <laughs> you know, the, 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 the rabbi said you were doing real good if you went three times. <laughs> you know, Peter's going, well, I'll be really spiritual. I'll double that and add one to it. <laughs> you know, I'll say seven. Jesus' answer was 70 times seven which is not meaning 490 times. It's an idiom that says, keep going. You, know, you don't go, OK, now this is your 489th time. You do it one more time, and you're in trouble. No, that's not what he was saying. Matter of fact, he tells us not to remember, not to keep score of, of how many times somebody has hurt us. That's not easy to do, is it? That's the way of the world, is to keep those, keep those numbers. And then it goes, beyond just being the way of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, Satan himself. Now, most everyone in this room, or most of the people we know, probably aren't directly influenced by demons and, and Satan. Directly, I say. Indirectly, the whole world is against us. But most people aren't directly influenced by demons and Satan because the flesh is bad enough. We are sinners. We don't need any help to sin. None of us need help to sin. Many times we'll be sitting in a service listening to a message and all of a sudden bad thoughts will pop into our head. That's, that's how bad we are. But God is saying here, it's natural for us to do these things. It is what the world wants us to do. And you know our world has everything set against us to do the world's way of thinking. We need to think according to God. And the only way we're going to think according to God is to get into his word, to have teachers teaching us his word, and slowly, our mind and our thinking changes. And we've talked about this. And, I, and I, I've met so many of the people in this room right now who've grown so much in the time in the last couple years. And I've watched that growth. Thinking is changing. Thinking is changing to be more biblical. The bad news is we'll never get perfect. <laughs> we'll always be struggling with this. No matter how long you walk with God, there'll be this point where you'll get, you'll, you'll get past something and God will say, okay, now let's take the next one. Let's do the next one. But if you've ever trained to do something, you'll find that there's always something more to learn. I think I've shared this with you. My definition of an expert is somebody who's beginning to know what they don't know. 
know, I've met people who think they're experts. They, they think they know everything about a topic. But the more you study something, the more you realize that, what, and I don't care what the topic is, the more you study it, the more you realize you don't know something. People will spend their entire life learning to do a sport. And there's always something new to learn in the sport. And you may get very good at it. But there's always something new and more to learn. I've talked about studying the scriptures. You study the scriptures and there's always something new to learn. There's always, and I don't care what the topic is on computers, there's lots to always learn because they keep changing the product when you get, you know, once you learn it. But everything, there's always something new. And we need to change the way we think into God's way of thinking. It will take us the rest of our life. But we need to be improving. And this is why I challenge you, look back over your life. Are you changing? Are you becoming more godly? Not through your flesh, but because God changes you. And I've shared this with you. You know, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't please God if I do it. It has to be God that does it. And if I'm doing it, somebody might get good out of it, but, it's not, but it may not be what God wanted. Because God will always turn, bring good from anything that happens. As I've told you, that's my favorite version, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. Doesn't mean it is good. You know, I've, I've seen and heard people say, you know, justify the bad things they did because good things come from it. No, you, you can't say that God wanted me to do this and this is what I had to do because the good came out of it. God would have brought the good anyway. He didn't need you to be bad to get good. But he will bring good if we misbehave and we do things wrong. Uh, I know this guy, he was very irritated, and he goes, I'm irritating for Christ. I go, no, you're just irritating. My dad told him, no, you're just irritating. <laughs> you know, God's using you, but you're irritating. <laughs> you know, but he was trying to turn this negative personality trait of his into this really good thing and saying, look at all the good that's coming. No, God was doing good in spite of. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, God works for us in spite of what we do, not because of what we do. And we want to always watch that because it's important for that to be there. And it says then in verse 3, he kind of changes this from, and he goes, Among whom we also had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. Conversation here isn't talking back and forth. This is literally sitting down, dwelling in some place. And, he's, and Paul's going on to the Ephesians. In times past, you used to sit down and dwell in your bad, in your, in your sin. Have you ever met anybody who's enjoying their sin? Yeah. And we've got to admit, there is fun in sin, otherwise we would never do it. You know, there's something about it that we enjoy, otherwise we wouldn't do it. Even if we feel guilty afterwards, there's still that moment of pleasure in sin. Otherwise, if, sin, if we saw the results of sin at the moment that you took it, you would never take it. And remember, we talked about this a while back ago because I heard this comedian talking about, you know, if, it, if the results of sin were immediate, you ate the donut and all of a sudden the fat popped down on your side, <laughs> you wouldn't eat very many donuts, would you? <laughs> it's easy to say somewhere down in the future I'll have to do exercise to get rid of these calories. But if we ate the dozen donuts and they had the fat pop on us immediately, we would stop eating <laughs> those things that aren't good for us. And the problem with sin is the sin results are always down the, down the road somewhere. You know, sometimes a very short distance, sometimes a long distance. But we, we disassociate 
the consequence with the action. Kids have a problem with this all the time. You know, why am I getting spanked? I did something bad a week ago. <laughs> well, because we just found out about it. Oh, you know, and so we do the same thing. We get this idea of we forget that there's discipline and consequence for what we do. And Paul's saying, you know, we used to have, we used to enjoy it. We used to enjoy the sin. We used to have this. We we acted in the the lust of the flesh and the desires of the flesh. And we all know that. We all know we have great desires in our flesh. And not all of them are bad. When we're hungry, we need to eat. But it doesn't need, we need to fulfill gluttony. You know, I'm the type, I have a hard time. I don't eat one bag, one, a couple of handfuls out of the bag of chips. I eat the whole bag. You know, it's, that's just the way I am. You know, and I, get, I go, God, I don't even want to touch it. You know, because if I do, I know that I'm going to, you know, you know, don't eat one donut, eat the box. <laughs> Yeah. How does cardboard taste? I don't know. It, was, you know. it had the flavor of the donut in it. <laughs> had the flavor of the donut in it. But then he says, and, I, and I've said very time, in verse 4 he says, but. The word but, something is changing. God, who is rich in mercy for his great love that he has for us. Do you realize that God loves you? I want to stop just for a moment to really think about that. We talk about his love all the time, but do you really know in your heart that God loves you? I meet people, even Christians, who don't really believe that God loves them for some reason. His rich mercy, his rich mercy, his abounding mercy for us, his love for us, God loves us so much. He loves us when we're doing wrong, and this is where we're starting at, wrong. And he still loves us. He knew before he was created us that we were going to sin, and he loved us so much before he created us that he said, son, we're going to send you to pay the price of their sin. That's love. That's an amazing love. I've already told you, I would never do something like that. I don't have that kind of love in myself. I would not be sitting there going, okay, if we create the end, they're going to fall, we have to redeem them. Nope, we're not going to create them, would be my attitude. But God said, we're going to create them, they're going to fall, and, and son, I want you to go sacrifice yourself for them. And Jesus said, yes. Do you realize the greatness of this love? How often when we see somebody who does wrong, we write them off. They're worthless, get rid of them. Don't go talk to them. Don't go, go, don't go love them. Don't go try to be nice to them. They're just bad. Don't, don't care for them. God, when we were in the bottom of the barrel, okay, always remember, even those of us who have been saved all our life, we've always been, we were created and we were born bottom of the barrel. No matter what we went through, we were born dead, worthless, without value, and yet God saw value. He saw value enough to send the son to die for us. Powerful. It should influence how we look at one another and how we treat one another. The forgiveness of God. The forgiveness to be able to say, I forgive this person for what they've done. Does that mean they're going to change? Not necessarily. They may still be mean to you. They may still say bad things about you gives us an opportunity to show God's love and keep growing. 
Because how many times does God do that with us? God, I love you, I thank you, I praise you, I read, and next thing you know, I'm sinning. Maybe I have a sin that I do all the time. I just can't seem to get over it. And God still says, I love you. My mercy forgives you. The Son's blood covers that sin. We need to really start looking at how God deals with us when, we've, when we're disobedient. Doesn't mean there's no consequence for, for sin. No, nope, there's lots of consequence for sin. There's always consequence. But God still loves. He still loves. And he's challenging us to love one another. And in John it tells us, we love him because he first loved us. We have no capacity to love God. We have no capacity to even want God because our flesh says, we're going to walk after the world. And we prove that in our daily walk as Christians. When I have a decision in front of me and instead of following God's narrow way, I go, I just want to go the way the world says. The world says, you know, take them out. They deserve it. <laughs> you know, cut the legs out from under them. They deserve it. God says, love them. Be kind to them. Can you imagine Jesus walking on this earth? People being mean to him. And, you know, in the back of his mind is, all I got to do is let go of their atoms on their body and they would dissolve into nothing. Realize that? He, it tells us in the Bible, he, everything is held together by Jesus, by the word. He holds everything together. I love science, and I know that an atom should not stay together. Right. The, the protons should be repelling each other, and the neutrons should be collapsing into the protons. The atoms should not exist the way it exists. And science try to go, you know, they go, well, there's just this atomic force. You know, we don't know what it is, but there's this force <laughs> that holds them apart. Well, the Bible tells us who it is. All things are held together by Jesus. You know, can you imagine Jesus getting mad at somebody and saying, okay, you don't exist anymore? <laughs> His love kept people, to, kept people together. His love keeps us together. His love keeps this world together. And we think about this, how wicked is this world in, in general now? You know, we as Christians have a hard time trying to walk with him and let him crucify us and walk with him. The world is evil. The world is headed toward the days of Noah. Just as it was predicted, it would. The ends are, end time is coming. The rapture is coming. The seven years of tribulation is coming. The millennial kingdom is coming. And then the destruction of this world and the recreation of this world. The new heaven and new earth. Pure, without disease, without, without, without sin. Is coming. And it says... His great love, wherein he's loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, he has quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. Quickened, it means made alive. We are made alive, not just made alive and stuck up on our feet, but made alive in Christ. Important for us to understand that. When we are saved, when we become a follower of Christ, we are put in Christ. The Father looks down and what does he see? He sees the righteousness of Christ. Satan tries to come in and try to remind us of who we are in our flesh, but it's gone. It really is gone. We need to understand that it is gone. We need to be able to say, it is gone, it is under the blood, it is forgotten, it is, is covered, it is paid for. 
Our sins are paid for. And Jesus has made us a new creation, a forgiven creation, one who stands in him, clothed in his righteousness. Now, we know in our daily walk that that's not true, but we need to be able to remember who I am in Christ. When I fall, when I fail, I say, Father, forgive me. I failed. Help me stand back up. If we've offended somebody, we need to honestly, in love, apologize to them for offending them and go forward. And when I say apologize, that doesn't mean to make excuses. doesn't mean to even blame them. It may very well have been their fault. You smacked me. That's why I put you in the hospital. You know, if you hadn't smacked me, you wouldn't be in the hospital. But no, <laughs> I go to them and I apologize, not say it's your fault, but I, I was wrong. I was wrong. It doesn't matter who was wrong to begin with, but I am wrong. There's power in that forgiveness. If I'm going to them and saying, well, I, I ask you to forgive me, but, I, you know, but you started it, it's not going to be an apology. <laughs> it's not going to be something that's going to solve anything. But I'm sorry for what I did as it is. It doesn't need to go. And you don't need to go into details of what happened. But it's important to clear that up. Clear that with people. Because it says, for by grace we are saved. By grace. I do nothing in my for my salvation except turn to him and say, God, help. God, I can't do this. I need your help. If you think you're doing anything in your salvation, you're deceiving yourself and don't understand what salvation is all about because you do not do anything for salvation. It is simply grace, God's grace, his free gift to us. And he's holding out a grace. All we do is reach out and take it. We need his help. And we need to keep that in remembrance. When, when you've been walking with God for a few years and all of a sudden you think you're super Christian, you're, you've been really good, you deserve what you've got, God will remind you that you don't deserve what you've got. It's all grace. You've walked with him for 120 years and you're, you seem to have all your life together. It's still by grace. It's still his grace. We still would fall in an instant if we were left without his spirit. <coughs> We would fall flat on our face in an instant without him, without his strength. It's so important that we truly understand and keep in remembrance it's grace. And it tells us all the time it is grace. And verse 6, who has raised us up together. That's that quickening. He made us alive together in Christ. And what's he do? In verse 6, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He resurrects us. He gives us life. He gives us all the, all the, all the strength to live. And then he, he made. I didn't just go up and sit on the throne with him. We are made to sit in heavenly places with Christ. On the right hand side of God. In the heavenlies we sit with Christ, with him, because of what he does, because of his gift. Do you get to see the picture of who we are? We're not these poor servants that God's saying, do the best you can. 
He says, I've lifted you up out of the mud and the death, out of the grave. I've given you life. I've clothed you in righteousness. I've put a crown on your head and I'm making you sit in, in the position of authority in heaven. What did I have to do? God, I need help. God, I can't do anything. Take me. Grace and the power of what it does for us. We, you, we've all seen these movies where somebody's taken from the, from the pigsty or the, or the bottom of the barrel, you know, beggar, and all of a sudden, you know, dressed up and put into, into the position of the prince or princess or whatever. That's us. That story is who we are. They didn't do anything to get there. They were just found. We were just found. The Holy Spirit found us, convicted us of our sins. We said, God, I need your help, and he did all the rest. He did all the rest to make us in authority. I hope we get that picture. I hope that picture comes strong into you. Because if we realize we have done nothing, that should definitely change the way we deal with others. And I know I'm as guilty as anybody else. There's times when I look at somebody, I'm going, if you would just start getting your life together, if you would just start trying to look like you want God, I'd be interested in helping you. I am so glad that God doesn't do that with us. We need to be able to go, this person needs help. This person does not know God the way they need to. Let me share the gospel with you. Let me share you God's love. Let me show you his love and his grace. And people respond to that. We, uh, we ultimately responded to his love and his grace. Yeah. Hopefully you didn't have somebody in your life say, okay, start doing these 12 things, and when you get them all done okay, then I'll teach you how to become Christian. Mm -hmm. now, the unfortunate thing is a lot of times we do that with people. We may not put 12 things on. But we put this like, we won't show us that you want God, and we'll, we'll reach out and touch you. you know, come through these doors of the church, and we'll, we'll give you the gospel. You know, most people aren't going to come through the doors of this church. We are the church going out to people, telling them the gospel, and showing them that God loves them. How do we do that? God's kindness, his love, being nice to people, showing them, the, showing them God's love in spite of whatever they're doing in their life, being able to show them that God loves them because it's all by grace. He's lifted us up to put us in heavenly, heavenly places, and the reason that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus. He's raised us up. Why? To show us the exceeding riches of grace for eternity. We don't deserve to be with him in heaven for eternity. To me, that's going to be riches enough just being there. But that's not what this verse says. He wants to show us the exceeding riches of grace. The more abounding, the more overflowing riches of his grace. We all as Christians will stand before him at the Bema Seat of Christ. Most people look at the Bema Seat of Christ as a judgment where I'm going to lose a lot of things. And you know what? We are going to lose a lot of things there. But I was listening to this pastor, I guess, two weeks ago, and he goes, God's purpose at the Bema Seed is to find the good things that we have done, that he has been doing. He wants to find things to reward us for. Okay, have you thought, think about that in the terms of the Bema Seed? Yeah, we're going to lose a lot of garbage out of our life. 
But God's purpose is not to, to make us lose things. His purpose is, what good is there? What good is there in this person? And when I heard that, it made all the sense in the world. God is not looking for the bad in us. God is looking for the good in us. When we're his children, he's looking for the good things we're doing. Just as a good parent does with their child, the good parent isn't always trying to find fault in their child and make them look bad. If you're a good parent, you're looking for, what can I praise my child for? What can I say they're doing good? And you know what? When you praise somebody, when you're looking for the good in somebody, number one, you're going to find it. Number two, if somebody thinks you're doing pretty good and you know you're doing bad, but they're praising you for something you're doing right, don't you just want to do more good things around that person? That person thinks I'm important. That person thinks I'm kind. That person thinks that I've done good things. And you start watching that person do more good things. <laughs> That's how God is with us. He's not up in heaven with a great big baseball bat waiting for us to do wrong so he can hit us over the head. He loves us. He's saying, what can I reward them for? What can I give them? What, what treat can I give them just because? If you have a picture of God as this big mean guy upstairs waiting to be able to beat you up, get rid of it. Get rid of that picture. And I know there's a lot of people who have that picture of God. You know, he's playing whack-a-mole. We stick our head up and he's hitting us. No, he's waiting for us to stick our head up so that he can just grab hold of us, drag us out of the hole, and hug us and, and redeem us and give us grace. We need a picture of God. We need a picture of a God that loves us. Does that mean he ignores sin? No. He paid for sin. Jesus paid for all the sin. Does it mean there won't be consequences for sin? No, nope. we've already talked about that. There will be consequences. You do wrong, you will pay the price for what you've done wrong but he's still going to be there holding you. After, after the discipline comes the love. That's the way it was with my father. It was the way I raised my kids. You know, they had their discipline, but they were going to be loved because I wanted them to remember they were still loved. I wanted them to learn to walk correctly, but I wanted them to know they were loved. That's God. That's God. He's going to give us the love. He's looking for the good that we're doing. And remember that, keep remembering that. He's looking for the good that, he's, that we're doing. And start looking for the good in people. Because that is what's important. What are they doing right? Even in the most vile, corrupted person, there's a little tiny piece of something that is good. There's a little piece. You might have to look pretty hard for it. But there's something there that you can praise them for. And it's just like, anything else. If you're looking for bad, you're going to find it. If you're looking for good, you're going to find it. I've been in churches. I've talked to people. You know, they go, I'm, I've been looking for a church. Well, how long have you been looking for a church? Oh, about 10 years. I go, you're not looking very hard, are you? Well, I just can't find the right church. I'm going, well, you're not going to find a perfect church. If somebody's been truly looking for that long for a church, they're looking for anything they can find to not go there. And I guarantee you, if you're looking for a reason not to go to a church, You'll find it. I don't care. The best church out there you know, that you found, if you're looking for bad, you're going to find some bad in that church. And probably in the worst church out there, you'd find some good, someone good in that church if, you know, out there if you look for it. What are we looking for? What are we looking for in people? 
Are we looking for people who need the gospel of Christ? That we can love? That we can tell them that God loves them and they'll know that God loves them because we have loved them? Now, you can't go out and be mean to somebody and then tell them God loves them. They're just not going to believe you. Now, well, gee, you think God loves me, but you keep, you keep tearing me down at every instant. You keep knocking me, my feet out from under me. You, you know, no, that, that's, you can't tell somebody that God loves them when you're beating them up. We need to show God's love to them. They need to see God's love. Will it be perfect, God's love? No. But they need to see that God loves them. They need to see that they are loved. Then they can respond. And we want to, my challenge for each one of us is we go out, number one, Let's start seeing ourselves the way God sees us. He sees us perfect. He's looking for the good. That's the first thing. If we can change the way we see ourselves according to God, and this isn't positive message, you know, be nice to yourself. This is see yourself the way God sees you. And I had somebody one time answer me and say, well, that's not natural. I'm going, no, it's not natural. It's spiritual. <laughs> and spiritual, if I'm walking in the spirit, should be natural to me. If I'm walking enough in the spirit, the spirit world becomes natural. Now, it will take a while for that to happen. But our mind has to be changed. So the first challenge is for us to start seeing us, us the way God sees us. And seeing God that wants to love us and give us blessing. And then the next challenge, of course, will be to let's pass it on to others. Let's look at others the way God is looking at them. Even the most vile sinner God is looking at and saying, I love this person. I died for this person. I want them in heaven. We need to be able to show that kind of love. Does that mean we're going to say, well, you just keep doing what you're doing. You're okay. No, we're not going to do that. Are we going to condemn them from what they're doing? No. We're going to say, God loves you and died for you. He died for your sins. And he wants you to be his child. That message is the one we give him. Not... You, you stinking, rotten, dirty, you know, lying piece of trash. You know, no, you know, God loves you. No, God loves you. Even if they are all those other things. God loves them, and we need to love them. I mean, we're going to buy into all their lies? No. We have wisdom. We have understanding. The greatest thing in the world is when God gives you the discernment, and somebody's lying to you, and you know they're lying. Does that mean I call them out for being a liar? Not necessarily. I know that they're lying. That's all it takes. God's wisdom and discernment will guide us in all that we do. Keep us from making mistakes. I've had people say, well, I want to do such and such. I'm going, no, nope, you're not the right person. I don't see it. And I don't know why. And then God may show me later on they wanted to do this. So therefore, we're not going to do this. Discernment is so important. It doesn't mean that we go out and we just allow anything bad to happen to us. No, we get discerning. But by the same token, sometimes that bad thing that happens to us may be just what it takes to win them. Can. Not necessarily is or will be, but can. And so we just want to be able to lift him up. We're going to close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you. We ask that you help each one of us, Lord, to see you, see us ourselves in the way you see us. And then, Lord, do we take that new vision of, of people and apply it to others. Lord, give us opportunities to share with people that you love them, that you died for them. And give us the courage to speak to friends, to relatives, to strangers, to give this message. 
And the Lord especially friends and relatives because the last thing we want to do is see them in hell for eternity. Give us the courage to speak to our family, our friends, so that they do not end up in hell. And we just thank you and give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.